listen, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 31. And here's the deal. Uh, Don't have as much time as we typically do this morning with the ordinances for the word. I want you to please try to contain your disappointment. I know, I know. Uh, We'll get back more next week, but here's the deal. I'm calling this more of an extended communion meditation. That sounds more fancy, fancier way than saying a short sermon this morning. Uh, Here's the deal, guys. I want to reflect on and meditate on personally one of my favorite passages of scripture in Jeremiah chapter 31. And what we have here is the promise that God has made to his people of a new covenant. And now promises are a powerful thing. We know that, right? It's almost like as human beings, we are hardwired to make promises and to desire others to make promises to us. There's something so powerful about it. You might know the joy of making a promise to someone and having the ability to fulfill it or receiving a wonderful promise from someone. But likewise, we also know the pain, right? Of maybe someone has made a promise to you and you know the pain of that promise or that vow being broken. Let me illustrate it this way. About a year ago, so Hannah was probably a little over two, uh, I was watching the girls one day while Megan had to go to work. And so uh, what do you do when you have the kids alone? You find ways to get out of the house and go do stuff. So I had promised her that morning I was going to go to Starbucks and I would get her a cake pop, uh, which is what little ones get at Starbucks. So we are getting ready to go and it's winter time. I get them all bundled up, all dressed up, get the coats on, get the shoes on. We're getting ready to go. All right, we're going to get a cake pop. Come on, let's get to the car. I realized I was we're getting ready to go to the car. There's a problem. Megan went to work and took my keys. <laughs> so I text her, hey, do you have my keys? Oh, no. So then I have to break her heart. Hey, sweetie, listen, like we can't go to Starbucks. And there's just tears and screaming. And it's the end of the world as we know it. You know, um, I, I had to break my promise. And so we know the pain of that and we know the joy of making promises. But the, I think the reason why we do that is because we are made in the image of a God who makes promises to his people. But unlike us, he always keeps his promises. He is the almighty God, the faithful God who is true to his word and true to his promises. And what is the promise of this text? Well, here's what's interesting. And this is how we connect the dots to last week. We last week wrapped up our sermon series in Exodus, looking at the 10 commandments, looking at God's law together. We saw the standard of God's holiness as reflected in his law. And we saw that as sinners, we can't keep it. As sinners, we are imperfect. We are not capable of fulfilling the demands of God's law because of our sinful flesh. And that shows us the need that we have for Christ, the need that we have for the gospel. But the incredible promise of the new covenant is this. The law that was once outside of us, written on tablets of stone that we could never keep, now in the gospel under the new covenant is now inside of us. God says, I'm going to take that law, that law that you couldn't keep, and instead of writing it on tablets of stone, I'm going to write it on the tablet of your heart. So that now from the heart, by the power of the spirit, we will be able to obey God, able to please God. Why talk about this before communion? Because the Lord Jesus himself said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. So this morning, I hope that we'll meditate on this for a few minutes, understand the promise that we have here and how this changes everything. So with that in mind, let's read this text together. Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. 
Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Let's start by talking about the nature of the new covenant together. In other words, what is it? What is a covenant? Let's start there. A covenant in scripture is a divinely mandated relationships that includes promises on the part of God and obligations on the part of the people. A covenant is different than a contract. That's what we're more used to in our world today. A contract is, you know, you sign on the dotted line, you do these things, and you get in trouble if you don't do it. Whereas a covenant is much more relational. Think like a marriage. A marriage relationship is a covenant where we make vows to one another, promises. It's similar to in scripture. A covenant is like a marriage. God himself even says in this text, though I was a husband to them. And notice God's initiative. It says eight times in those few verses we just read, I will. God's saying, I will do this. I will do this. I will do this. The fulfillment of God's promises is not dependent on us. Praise God. It's dependent on him. He is the one who takes the initiative to make and to keep the promises. But next we see the contrast. He says in verse 32, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them out of, by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. That's what we've been studying the last two months. This covenant, right? The old covenant, the covenant where he brought them out of Egypt. He says, they broke this covenant. Spoiler alert, if you haven't read the Bible past Exodus 20, they don't do very well. <laughs> they don't keep it. They break it. And because of that, Jeremiah is saying, you're about to go into exile because you have broken the covenant. Despite the incredible display of God's grace and provision, it describes God with such, such intimate language, right? Taking them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. It's like with your kids and you're getting ready to cross the street or go through a busy parking lot. That imagery of tender care and protection and provision, leading them by the hand like a small child out of the land of Egypt. They broke God's covenant. But why? What was the problem with the old covenant? The problem was not with the old covenant itself. It was not with the law itself that governed the old covenant. Because remember Romans 7, 12, the law is holy. The commandment is holy and righteous and good. The problem was not with the law. The problem was with their hearts. The problem is our inability to keep the law. We could put it this way. The problem was not with the law outside of them, but with the heart inside of them. And that's exactly what God promises to change in the new covenant. Next, we see the blessings of the new covenant of which there are three. The first blessing is that God puts his law inside of them. He says in verse 33, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. That's a metaphorical way of saying this. In the new covenant, God provides what he commands. God provides what he commands. The standards have not changed. 
God's holiness has not changed. Murder is still wrong. Adultery is still wrong. Stealing, lying, bowing down to idols, all of these things are still wrong. The difference is that now God empowers us. He writes it on our hearts. And how does he do that? He gives us more detail in Ezekiel 36, another new covenant promise. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. Church, it is the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives that empowers us to start to live in a way that pleases God. That's what it means that the law is now inside of us, written on our hearts. The next blessing is a redeemed community. Jeremiah goes on to say, I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them, even to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. In other words, let me put it this way. Under the old covenant, yes, they all had a relationship with God. Yes, they all were in covenant with God, but they were not all saved. They were not all saved in Israel. How do we know that? God had brought them into a covenant relationship with himself, but many of them God was not pleased with. In fact, you know how many people out of those who came out of Egypt actually got to go into Canaan? Two out of two million, two of them. Being in the old covenant did not mean salvation. That's why they had to tell each other, know the Lord. Whereas in the new covenant, they shall all know me from the least of them, even to the greatest of them, Jeremiah says. In the new covenant, we become a part of God's family, not by physical birth into one nation, but by new birth into Christ. But the final blessing is the greatest of all, and that's the forgiveness of sins. Verse 34, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. I think, and this is, Pastor Nate's opinion, that might be the sweetest sentence in the Bible, Genesis to Revelation. The sweetest sentence in the Bible. I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Because I can remember quite a lot. I don't know about you. I can remember quite a lot. But the omniscient God of the universe says, I will remember their sins no more. I will forgive their iniquities. So if those are the blessings of the new covenant, let's talk now about the application of the new covenant. How do these blessings apply to us in Christ? Well, in numerous places in the New Testament, the new covenant prophecy is quoted twice in the book of Hebrews, the Lord's Supper passages, 2 Corinthians 3. We could go on and on over and over. By the way, it's what the word testament means. We could even call it the documents of the new covenant. If you are a Christian, you are in the new covenant. You are receiving these blessings. Let's go through them. In Christ, if you have come to Christ and received him as your savior, you are forgiven. You are completely and totally forgiven. Ephesians 1, 7, in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. In Christ, you are a part of a redeemed community. 
1 Corinthians 1, 2 says this, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Now notice in this verse, uh, can we leave it up there for a minute? Notice something on this verse, a couple of things. They are the church of God, They are sanctified in Christ Jesus. They are called to be saints together with all of those who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. Does anybody know anything about the church of Corinth? They were a mess. They were an absolute train wreck. They were not the kind of church, if you're a pastor looking for a job, that you're sending your resume to Corinth Baptist or whatever. Like they were a train wreck. Yet look at what he says about them. You are saints you are sanctified. You are the church of God. From the least even to the greatest, all of them will know me. That's the blessing of the new covenant. In Christ, and this is what I want to focus on here, you have the law written on your heart by the Holy Spirit. That law that you and I could never keep that was outside of us has now been put inside of us. We have been given a divine heart transplant so that now we are able to obey God. This is the contrast that Paul draws when he talks about the new covenant in 2 Corinthians 3. He says, God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, and this new covenant, Paul says, is not of the letter, that is the law written on the outside in tablets of stone, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. The letter kills because in our inability to keep it, we cannot keep the law, but the spirit gives life and that he empowers us to walk in obedience. And this is the application for us this morning. If you are a Christian, you have the spirit living in you and you really can please God with your life. You really can please God with your life. This is the other side of the coin because a lot of times we can talk very pessimistically about I'm never gonna be perfect. I'm always gonna be a sinner and all that's true. But the other side of the coin is that by the Holy Spirit, you really can grow in holiness. You really can grow in obedience. You really can live a life that pleases God. And there is no place in the Christian life for a defeatist attitude towards sin. An attitude that says, I'm never gonna overcome this. Because Paul says in Romans 6, sin will no longer have dominion over you for you are not under law, but under grace. God has written his law on your heart. He has given you a new heart. He has filled you with his Holy Spirit. And while we will never reach perfection in this life, there will be a constant and continual progression toward holiness and righteousness. So all of us this morning, especially as we are preparing to take communion in a few minutes, ought to search our hearts and say, Lord, do heart surgery even again now. Show me the areas where I'm falling short and show me how I can please you. So fundamentally, church, we are under a new covenant because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is why that matters as we're getting ready to take communion. What does a new covenant have to do with communion? This is what Jesus says about that. Luke 22, 20. Likewise, the cup after they had eaten saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So those disciples who knew their Old Testament, when they heard that, you know where their mind went? New covenant. You mean forgiveness of sins? You mean law written on my heart? Holy Spirit? You mean a part of a community where they all will know me? Yes. Every time we drink that cup, We should remember what we have been saved from and what we have been saved for, that we are under a new covenant. 
So I want to close with two final thoughts as we're getting ready to take communion as a church family. And here's an important question. How can I enter the new covenant? How can I enter the new covenant? Well, remember earlier in the message where I compared a covenant to a marriage? I think it's much the same way. We enter into a marriage relationship by taking vows and by entering into a relationship with another person. And it's similar to how we enter into the new covenant through Jesus Christ. We commit our life to him. Church, I want you to know there's no work that you can do to enter the new covenant. There's no amount of money that you can pay. There's no amount of church attendance, no amount of tithing, no amount of good works that you can do to get into the new covenant. It is only by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is only by turning from your sins and trusting in the gospel, the good news that Jesus has died for our sins and he has risen from the dead three days later. It is through the gospel and through that alone. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you're not a follower of Christ, man, we would love to talk with you and pray with you about how you can have a relationship with Jesus. In fact, after the sermon, uh, a little bit later on, after the service, we're gonna have some prayer team members down front who will be available to pray with you and talk with you about a relationship with Jesus. But if that's you, as we are preparing to take communion, it would be irresponsible of me as a pastor not to say the following, which is that the Bible is very clear that communion is something that is for believers, okay? Those who would say, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus. So I'd encourage you, even in just a couple of minutes when we're gonna start passing out the plates to just go ahead and let the plate pass you by, but not to partake during this time. But I have one final thought, and that's this. I've already told you guys, one of my favorite sentences in the Bible is, I will forgive their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. Let's talk about that. Because I know my theology nerds in here going through Wayne Grudem right now are like, hold on, Pastor Nate. I just read about the omniscience of God. God knows everything, in other words. He has perfect and complete knowledge of everything. And listen, guys, I get it. God knows full well the sins I committed five years ago. God is not like a computer that has had a memory wipe. However, the word remember has such a beautiful and a rich meaning in scripture that goes so much deeper than we usually use that word today in English. Let me illustrate it this way from the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter two. During those many days, the king crying out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning, get this, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. It's not as if God went, oh yeah, Abraham, whatever happened to that guy? Oh, the covenant. Oh man, I better do something about this. No, to remember means to call to mind and act on that basis. To call to mind and to act on that basis. So I hope you feel the weight of that this morning. When God says, I will remember their iniquities no more, he's saying, I am no longer calling your sin to mind and acting on that basis toward you. As far as my relationship with you is concerned, it never happened. Let's use some biblical language. As far as the east is from the west, at the bottom of the sea, trampled underfoot, gone, nailed to the cross. If you're a Christian, that's what God thinks about your sin. It's gone. So as we take communion together, as we're getting ready now, and I'll go ahead and invite the ushers to come now, as we're passing out the elements together, let me invite you to do something that sounds crazy this morning. I'll invite the worship team to come too. Let's remember the forgetfulness of God. 
Let's remember the forgetfulness of God this morning. And as the plates are being passed, I'd like to read you this brief thought on communion by a pastor named Doug Wilson. After that, I'm gonna give you a few minutes to pray and to reflect, and then we'll take communion together. This is what he wrote. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus taught, is a kingdom of grace. And this means that when we are coming into the presence of Christ, the prince over this kingdom, we are not coming into the presence of an unforgiving scorekeeper. We too often project our lack of forgiveness onto him. We assume that he is as bitter or as unyielding or as difficult to entreat as we can sometimes be, but he is not like this at all. He forgives. In the words of institution that will be said in just a few moments, which you have heard many times, this cup is called the cup of the New Testament. This is a reference to the glorious new covenant promise promised by Jeremiah. And this is what is involved in the new covenant. Here are the words of promise. Their sins and iniquities, I will remember no more. God the Father will remember no more. Jesus Christ will remember no more. The Holy Spirit will remember no more. And what does our triune God not remember? The answer is our sins, our iniquities. Now, iniquity sounds pretty serious, but there it is right in the Bible. God forgets them. You are here worshiping him in faith. And that means that he is unconcerned with your past sins. He does not care about your previous iniquities. They do not enter into his calculation on how to deal with you. You have at this table, the greatest privilege that a sinful creature could ever have. In just a few moments, a cup will be offered to you. And what is that cup? It is the cup of the new covenant. And this means that it is the cup of God's forgetfulness. And you are invited, summoned, commanded to drink it. Receive this in faith. You are being offered God's forgetfulness and only the death of his son could make such an impossible thing. So swallow God's kindness, swallow his grace, swallow his forgetfulness.